WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Heart disease accounts for one out of every four deaths in America, and heart attacks are a major contributor to this. Eating just one cup of blueberries or strawberries each week is enough to help prevent high blood pressure, which can contribute to heart attacks and heart disease. Today we're here talking to Sequindar Ajamam about his research on how micronutrients may impact improving heart recovery after a heart attack. Sequindar, may you please introduce yourself and your research for us? Hey Chelsea and Daniel, appreciate you bringing me on. My name is uh, Sukhwinder Ajamal, but you can call me Suki. And our research is basically looking at how nutrition can affect heart attack recovery after a patient has had a heart attack. And so like the way we're doing that is by measuring what the patient's nutritional levels are, things like that, and then seeing like how they can be changed after a patient has had a heart attack. Nice to meet you, Suki. We've heard in previous episodes about how important nutrients can be to a person's metabolism and health. But what are micronutrients, and how do they differ from the nutrients that we're familiar with? The big picture, nutrients are just what we see every day. Vegetables, fruits, meats, things like that. Like the macro level is kind of what we talk about with nutrients. When we're looking at micronutrients, it's like breaking that down to specific vitamins and minerals and things like that. Scientists have done some research. Vitamin B3, for example, helps with improving blood pressure, or vitamin B6 and B12 help with decreasing cholesterol levels and things like that. So what we're doing is focusing on the little nitty-gritty micronutrients and seeing what do those have, how can they affect heart health versus looking at the bigger fruits and vegetables like the greens, like spinach and things that can also influence heart health. A lot of our interviewees don't really talk about the difference between macro and micronutrients, so I really appreciate you doing that. When you were introducing your research, you said that your laboratory is actually analyzing the nutrients within people. How do you specifically analyze someone's micronutrient content? The way our study works specifically is a patient comes to the hospital after having a heart attack. The first thing we're going to do is after we talk to them and, and, and make sure that they're okay and, and you know their life is no longer at risk, we take their blood. So what we'll do is we'll take a, we'll, you know, just like whenever you go to like the doctor's office and they poke you with a needle and everyone hates it because it hurts, but you know, you got to get through it. It's the same concept here. What we're doing is we're just poking them with a needle, taking out some of their blood, usually like a vial's worth. And then what we do is we use this like big complex machine. It's called an LCMS machine. Basically, it's a massive machine that spins really, really fast. And it stratifies or it separates the micronutrients based on their weights. And then from that, we can get an idea of, oh, okay, this patient that had a heart attack has this level of micronutrients, or they have this level of a vitamin or this level of a mineral. And then that can give us a little more of an idea of what vitamins specifically are impacting their health. Yeah, I remember whenever I'd get a regular checkup, they would prick my arm and they would get a certain amount of blood so that way they could analyze it. When it comes to these micronutrients that are impacted by heart attacks, however, which are the ones that have been identified so far? There's three big ones. So the three big ones are vitamin B3, vitamin B6, and vitamin B9, which is folic acid. Vitamin B3, it's typically found in foods like turkey, salmon, tuna, things like that. And that has a correlation with decreased cardiovascular disease risk. 
Previous research has shown that if patients are low in vitamin B3, it can lead to plaque buildup in their arteries, which can then cause a higher cardiovascular disease risk and even potentially may cause a heart attack. Vitamin B6 is another one, and that's typically found in bananas, nuts, potatoes, things like that. And that has a, a correlation with decreased blood pressure. And again, like in patients that's like found low in specifically, it can potentially lead to like increased blood pressure, which can again increase your risk of, of having a heart attack. And then vitamin B9, which is folic acid, it's typically found in your greens, your, your vegetables, fruits, things like that. And what's been found, what studies have shown is that like a higher folic acid content in your body leads to a decreased risk of stroke. But again, previous research looks at all of these vitamins as like an aggregate, so like all of them together. And what we're trying to do is isolate our findings and pinpoint more so like how does vitamin B3 in particular, how does vitamin B6 in particular, how does vitamin B9 or folic acid in particular impact heart attack recovery after a patient has had it? I'm quite familiar with the folic acid cycle. Something that I do know is that if there's too much folic acid, there's too little homocysteine. For those of you that don't know, homocysteine is an amino acid that's found in your blood. If there's an imbalance of either of these, then that can negatively affect someone's health. Whenever you're investigating B3, B6, and B9, do you also look at the cycles related to them and the balance between these other micronutrients? When it comes to looking at the interactions specifically between all these vitamins like vitamin B3, B6, B9 and their cycles, it's hard to see how they all integrate and fall in line with one another, mainly because they're involved in so many different pathways. Like you mentioned the folic acid, for example, and how that's involved in like homocysteine and if folic acid is high, homocysteine levels are low and things like that. Because vitamins are plugged into several different pathways, like they plug into Krebs cycle, which is an, another pathway that is involved in energy generation for the body. And vitamin B6, for example, is involved in helping reduce like plaque buildup. And vitamin B3 also works in reducing risk of plaque buildup and homocysteine as well, actually. The point I'm getting at is that all these vitamins are involved in several different pathways. So if we look into research for it right now, you can get really caught up in the weeds to the point where a lot of it's not really understood. So it's really, really hard to pinpoint and determine specifically a cause and effect of levels of these vitamins and how they can impact a measurable outcome in a patient. So basically what this like leads to is that since a lot of these mechanisms for vitamins and minerals are unclear, a lot of the existing research is inconclusive. And that's why we're doing our research to isolate the pathways of like vitamin B3, B6, B9, and the other vitamins so we can get a more proper correlation with what's happening to a patient in a clinical setting. Well, that's the beauty of research. There's always something new to try and figure out and try to understand. So there's still plenty of work to do. When it comes to your particular research, however, are you only looking at those three B vitamins that we talked about earlier in this interview, or are there other molecules that you're looking at as well? We're looking at the B vitamins like B3, B6, B9, like I mentioned earlier, because they've shown the highest clinical evidence to have with cardiovascular disease. But then we're also looking at the fat-soluble vitamins like EK. 
we're looking at cholesterol, magnesium, mainly because these other vitamins and minerals that I mentioned, apart from the B vitamins, research has also shown for them to help with lowering high blood pressure or decreasing thrombosis, which is kind of a blood clot in your artery. Basically, a bunch of effects that lead to better heart health. But the only problem is that with these vitamins and minerals that we're looking at, like the AEK and minerals like cholesterol, magnesium, copper, and so on, is that the clinical evidence is contradictory. Like some say that, oh, it really helps in patients and and we should definitely incorporate this into a diet. And then other research says, oh, you know what? We don't really need this. It's not really that conclusive. It's useless. We're just trying to delineate that and see that, okay, in our urban population of Detroit, what do we think is important and needs to be looked at more closely? So we're starting wide and we're seeing where that takes us. And then from there, we're going to narrow it down. So Michigan State University is about an hour or so away from Detroit. Are you only focusing on Detroit? And if so, why are you focusing on Detroit? And are you focusing on any other areas as well? It's kind of interesting that you bring that up. Detroit is the reason that we started this research. Before I started med school, I did clinical research in Detroit at at Wayne State University. I worked in the emergency department. And we were actually looking at a lot of patients that came into the hospital that suffered from heart attacks, heart failure, hypertension, all sorts of cardiovascular diseases, which were very, very high in Detroit. And Detroit specifically has a readmission rate of 20%, which means that after patients are leaving from the hospital after suffering any sort of cardiovascular accident, one in five are coming back within 30 days, which is a huge problem. More importantly, compared to the national average. Detroit is way higher when it comes to patients coming back to the hospital after being treated. When we were looking at patients that came to the hospital, they were being treated with medication. They were being told, okay, when you go home, follow this exercise regimen, or you need these dietary changes. But these patients that would come, that would present to the hospital initially with hypertension or heart attack would then come back with heart failure, or even worse, they wouldn't leave the hospital because they passed away. So we were looking at like, okay, what is one thing that these patients aren't being helped with, right? They're being given the medications, they're being educated in the hospital, but something's missing. And then my team and I were like, maybe it's the nutritional aspect. Nutrition in Detroit is something that's you've probably read in the news like, oh, Detroit is a food desert. It takes patients or people twice as long to get to a healthier option than it does to get to an unhealthy option. That was just in something that that was in like one research article I read a while back. The point is, is that there's a lot of unhealthy nutritional options and a lot of the population here doesn't have access to it. So we were wondering that, okay, well, maybe if we can get an idea of what deficits the population of Detroit is suffering from when it comes to nutrition, maybe we can target those values specifically because nutrition seems to be a big problem in Detroit. And that could lead to better cardiovascular disease outcomes. That really highlights how socioeconomic status can really impact a person's health and with heart attack and heart disease being no different. That being said, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that one in five people have to be readmitted because of the fact that they don't have the access they need to get these micronutrients that they would need to help with their heart issues. As you're doing this research, is there any outreach that's involved that helps make sure that people that live in Detroit are actually getting access to these micronutrients? And if there are any programs, maybe you can help our audience learn about some of them here as well. Right now, when it comes to the research part, what we're doing right now, it's kind of been slow because of COVID. We're in the phase of recruiting patients. 
So when a patient comes to a hospital with a heart attack, we would approach them and then enroll them. But because of COVID, it's been kind of tough because all of those research studies have been frozen at hospitals. So we're just waiting when we can jump back into it. On the flip side, though, when it comes to what's currently being done to help patients that have this issue when it comes to access to healthier foods and micronutrition, there's a few programs in Detroit. Whole Foods actually runs a program here where they're able to drop off foods to homeless shelters and things like that. There's also student organizations. There's one at Wayne State that I think it's called Detroit Feedback Loop, where what they do is they kind of recycle the food that's going to be thrown out and they're able to provide that to homeless shelters. Moreover, I know a few friends of mine that are involved in Detroit Street Care, which is a student-run medical clinic at the Michigan State's DO school, osteopathic medical school. And the one in Detroit here actually go on street runs uh, a few times a week where they go and they give patients food and even just health assistance. Wayne State, I think, has something similar to that too. I think it's Street Med at, at Wayne State. And what they do is a similar dynamic where they go out to, uh, to patients that are of low SES and they provide them with food if they need it, as well as like healthcare if they need it. So on the good side, there are a lot of aggressive programs available to make sure that the population of Detroit is at least getting the food they need to maintain like a baseline healthy lifestyle. We have researchers in Detroit, as well as other places of the world, that may also be infected, like how Detroit is being affected, by their socioeconomic challenges. Are there any foods that you could recommend that would have a high amount of B3, B6, and B9 that our listeners can maybe keep an eye out whenever they're in the grocery store and thinking about their next meal? Yeah, you know, I try to incorporate these into my diet as well. When it comes to what specific foods you can look for, again, like I mentioned, I try to keep a tab of this for myself, but I'm honestly not the best at doing it either, even though I should be. So vitamin B3, that's super big in fish. So like turkey, salmon, tuna, things like that. Vitamin B6, you can find that in the bananas you eat, your nuts, potatoes, green beans, carrots, stuff like that, vegetables mainly. And then vitamin B9, that's in your greens, your vegetables, Again, in your nuts, meats, grains. I started to see just from going to the nitty gritty and doing research is that a lot of things hit it, like nuts, for example, hit like your vitamin B6 and B9. So you get to see like layover of like the healthier alternatives to eat. That's kind of why they say, oh yeah, eat a lot of nuts in your diet, have a lot of wheat in your diet, or have a lot of greens in your diet. Because greens basically hit like all of the vitamins and minerals that you need, but they also don't taste as good either. Thanks for sharing those suggestions. Now that it sounds like your lab is getting a good handle on identifying what micronutrients are impacting recovery for heart failure and heart disease, are there any other kinds of diseases that could be investigated by looking at micronutrients, for example, maybe like a stroke? That's kind of the art of science in a way. I think what, what we're really just trying to do with our research is draw strong relationships between different vitamins, different minerals, and how they impact heart attacks. And one discussion we've even had is that, okay, well, after we're done with heart attacks, what else do we want to look at? Hypertension is one. And like you mentioned, stroke is another big one. Vitamin B9 has been seen to help in stroke recovery. But then we also know that when a patient has high blood pressure, they're at a higher risk for having a heart attack or a stroke. 
So then maybe we can then after the heart attack study, we can focus more on like, okay, which vitamins, which minerals are going to help the best with blood pressure. But you know what? We don't even have to stick to heart disease anymore at this point. In med school, we were learning about a vitamin B12 deficiency and how that can lead to neurological problems actually in people. So you can even expand out of the world of heart disease and look at different organ systems. We can, we can look at psychological issues. We can even look at mood problems, different I don't know specifically which vitamins or minerals, but certain vitamins and minerals like dietary habits can affect a patient's mood and, and how they think or feel every day. So there definitely is a school of thought right now where looking at micronutrition and how that impacts different areas of the body or different organ systems even. So you're right on the money. There's a lot of flexibility in, in what direction you want to head in. For us specifically, we just focused on heart disease because of the environment. We're in Detroit. Heart disease is really big here. And nutrition was one thing that just wasn't really being emphasized. But yeah, you can, you can really go anywhere with this. It's great that micronutrients are being more emphasized in the Detroit area to try and improve the residents' health. You mentioned that you're in med school. Is there a particular reason why you chose to go to med school instead of pursue something else in order to study heart disease in relation to micronutrients? The reason I didn't go into heart disease and micronutrition research directly is because that interest kind of came secondary to another personal story I have, and that's why I decided to go into medicine. So I always had an idea growing up that I wanted to go into medicine. I kind of wanted to just do something that helped people. And I was always drawn towards the sciences and just learning about the intricacies of how things work in the human body. I just found it so fascinating. But it was really, I think a few years back, my dad actually had a heart attack. And I remember when he had his heart attack, I was freaking out. I remember I was at my friend's place at Wayne State and my mom calls me at 11 p.m. And she's like, your dad's at the hospital. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And she's like, I have no idea. I am just going nuts. I remember I like ran to my car. I drove back 30 minutes to Bloomfield go to St. Joseph's Hospital and I'm running in the ED. I'm like borderline about to cry. And everybody sit next to my dad and I'm, I'm seeing like what's going on. And the doctor comes and the doctor's like, hey, we think your dad has had a heart attack. And it blew my mind. And I was like, what in the world? My dad's, he's been active. He watches his health. He does yoga. He does all this stuff. How in the world did he have a heart attack? And I remember during that time, I was just so overwhelmed with everything. And I remember I was able to rope together things I learned in school with what they were doing, like why the doctors were treating my dad a certain way. And just being able to translate what was going on at the hospital at that time was easing. But I remember like I was still tense. My mom was still tense. And it wasn't until the cardiologist, I remember the next morning after my dad stayed overnight, the cardiologist came in and he just says, Mr. Ajimal, you're a very strong man. You're going to be all right. And then I remember for the very first time, everyone in that room smiled. And that was it. That was my moment. That's where I knew I'm like, oh my God, medicine is like, I need to be a doctor. Like that's my calling. That I wanted to be able to provide that joy and, and that second chance to patients and their families. And then from there is where I started my interest in heart disease. And that's what led me to the micronutrition because I saw that, hey, in Detroit, we're doing these treatments, we're helping out these patients. But one thing that's not being emphasized is the nutritional angle, the micronutritional angle. And that's what we decided to investigate. So it kind of stemmed in like a backwards way. It started with my interest in medicine and then my personal encounter with my dad. And that kind of really just was like the start to that race. 
Wow, that was a really personal story that you shared with us. Thanks for doing that. It really highlights and illustrates the impact that these experiences has had on your motivation to go to medical school. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk to us about your work on micronutrients and the impact that they have on heart disease and heart attacks. I think the work that you're doing is going to really change the lives of people, especially of those in Detroit, for example. And thanks again for joining us on our show this morning. Yeah, Chelsea and Daniel, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this talk and I enjoyed talking about, uh, about the research we're doing here. It's great to have people like you actually put a spotlight on individuals like myself and other people in, in the field of science. It's great work. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.